Shareable is the podcast fueled entirely by curiosity. Every episode features exciting guests who share valuable advice and insights, how-to guides, and practical takeaways. Join me as I explore the awe-inspiring stories about overcoming the odds, the secret formulas that gave each guest their unique superpower, and the moments that remind us of our shared humanity. Get ready to be excited, delighted, and possibly even astonished, because this podcast is shareable. Remember, if you like this episode, think about who else you know who would like it and share it. It might even start the conversation that changes the course of your life. This episode of Shareable is a mic swap. It's a concept I came up with back in 2017 on the very first episode of Shareable. I thought, what if I made my guest into the host and I became the guest of my own show? This simple swap has led to some really incredible episodes with conversations I never could have even imagined before they happened. So I really hope you enjoy this episode of Mike Swap. Welcome to Shareable. I am your host, Sashka Abanyan, and today it is an absolute pleasure to have Jeff Gibbard as my guest today. Welcome to the show, Jeff. How's your day going? It's going great. So far, I've just had a blast and a half. I was on some really fascinating Zoom calls with people. I recorded an episode of my own podcast. It was phenomenal. Great guest. Really smart. A lot of fun. So yeah, had a good time. So Jeff, could you give us a little intro about yourself for anybody from the show that doesn't know who you are? Sure. So anybody that doesn't know me, I am uh, Jeff Gibbard. I'm a multi-hyphenate, uh, which it's either multi-comma or multi-hyphenate. I forget how mm. uh, I have friends that that use that to describe somebody who does a lot of different things. But I'm uh, the author of a book called The Lovable Leader. It's a book on how to build great teams with trust, respect, and kindness. Uh, it's my crowning achievement professionally because I wrote it fully from my heart for new managers to build better workplaces uh, with more trust and kindness. So that's one thing. Uh, I'm the uh, host of several podcasts, uh, including, I have a show called Shareable as well. So it's pretty, pretty neat. Uh, I have a show it's called Heroic it's Council it's that I'm a co-host on. I have a show called Rogue. And then I have um, my my blog and newsletter is called Becoming Superhuman. And I have a blog, uh, a podcast version of that as well. So if you don't like reading, you can listen to me saying it. Uh, I'm yes. a strategist. I'm a speaker. Uh, and I help people at the intersection of a lot of different things, but primarily uh, expertise in brand, marketing, sales, uh, leadership, culture, and productivity. So a bunch of different things. I love this. Yeah, a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. The multi-hyphenate. So tell me, was that a theme that you had with yourself from the beginning, since early days? Like when you were a kid, did you also have, you know, a million plates spinning in your interests, for example? I have always been... Uh, a passion chaser for sure. Um, and the ADHD does make it so that I chase a lot of dopamine. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things that I get really interested in. Um, unfortunately, I would say the earlier part of my life was not well suited or well designed for people who have a lot of interests. You're kind of put on a track where you're supposed yeah. to do well in school and pick a thing that you're going to do and go to college for that and get a job and that and like this whole outdated archaic model. Um, but I, I tried to follow my own path of like, you know, I want to be a professional basketball player. I want to be a photographer, want to be, I was actually a film major, uh, in mm-hmm. uh, college. So, um, yeah, there were, I just constantly chased things that I was interested in. Uh, and I think just as I've gotten older, I've gotten better at understanding how to take things a little slower and cultivate those skills until there's something that I can actually help others with. Mm-hmm. Love that. 
Now, you've mentioned a couple of times that you have ADHD. Now, this is something I'm not as familiar with as I think I should be, knowing that there's a very large conversation around it that's growing more and more. Could you explain a little bit what ADHD is and then also how you work with it and, and the pros that come with it? Yeah. Oh, my God. You know, it's funny. No one. I don't know how many people have ever asked me about that. I bring it up a lot. Mm. And like most of the time, people are like, cool. And then we talk about a different thing. But um, mm. ADHD is like this remarkable um, superpower slash disability, because, mm-hmm. um, essentially there are a, a bunch of different types of, uh, ways that people process information or, or, or that they're, um, they show up on the neurotypical to neurodivergent, uh, spectrum, right? There's people yeah. who have autism, ADHD, a number of other different, um, conditions about essentially that their brain functions just slightly differently than what's considered neurotypical, which, I don't really understand the distinction there um, mm. of, I don't know if it's actually neurotypical or if it's just, that's how society was designed for those people. But right, point B right. <laughs> is that um, I have a tendency to recognize patterns. I have a tendency to um, have a different flow of how my energy works. Um, I have a different uh, way that my brain allows for certain types of scheduling. I'll give you a good example. If, uh, if I have a full eight hour day in front of me on my calendar and I have a 30 minute appointment at four o'clock, that can potentially ruin 10 o'clock for me, 10 a.m. Because I need like an open runway in front of me. And I'm like, well, what's the point of even starting something if I'm going to have to stop it at 4.30? And that it's, it doesn't make any sense logically, but in my brain, that's sometimes mm. how things make sense. So there's, there's so many different things that come with it. Um, you know, my, my, my uh, methods of focus are either uh, eight hours at once or not at all. So like I can yeah. either do six to eight hours of work straight without a break, without a breather, barely without water, just completely hyper-focused, or mm-hmm. I can struggle for eight hours and get almost nothing accomplished because mm-hmm. my brain just works differently. And essentially school was not designed well for people with brains like mine. Yeah. And can you talk about how having ADHD and kind of learning how to work with it more and more, obviously you've reached a zone of absolutely beautiful productivity and content creation, right? You've, you've really managed it well. Can you talk about how having that experience has helped you also develop more, develop more trust and kindness when you're working with other people, right? Knowing that they could have also brains that work completely differently. Absolutely. I think that the experience of masking throughout my life and pretending that I was just like everybody else in the way that Mm -hmm. I processed information was a very, um, one, a a horrible kind of like shameful traumatic thing that I've had to deal with my whole life. But then in retrospect, when I learned to take that mask off and I learned to just accept how I am and what makes my brain work the way it does is it has made me much more empathetic to the way, to the idea that people just are different. We look at things differently. We have different strengths, different weaknesses, different things that we can and can't do naturally, you know, whether you show up on time or not could be completely a function. How you sleep, all of that is completely a function of how your brain works. So I I definitely have a much more uh, open-mindedness towards how people's brains work. Um, But I would say that the first step for me and like really being able to get a hold of it was first, you have to acknowledge it. Like first you have to understand Mm -hmm. that this is a thing that you are not going to work the same way that other people do. And then you kind of try to have to lean into what works and try to figure out how to compensate for or mitigate the things that do not work while also, and this is probably the hardest part for almost all of us, I would imagine, is being vulnerable enough to share with people where something doesn't work. Like I've literally had to have conversations with people where I say, listen, today I am, I'm actually broken. I'm just not going to get fixed. Mm -hmm. It's not, I'm not going to get the thing done. 
And that's just one of the things that comes with the times where I show up in a way where people are like, that was like unheard of how you could do what mm-hmm. you did in that time. Well, the other side of that is that there are days where I'm going to do absolutely nothing because I yeah. just can't like it just short circuits. Right. So I think once you understand and appreciate, you know, what your thing is, then you can lean into it. So just a couple quick examples of it. I learned how to, how to generate flow state for myself. Mm-hmm. I learned like, what are the conditions I need to get into that flow so that I can do amazing things. So that's, that's one thing. And then how do I deal with the, the scattered chaos that is ADHD sometimes? And what I learned is that because I need to process things externally, so that means I need to write things down. I need to draw on whiteboards. I need to write mm-hmm. things down. I can't sort it out in this tornado that happens up here. Uh, I've learned that task lists and calendars are essentially a godsend for me. But if something's not on my calendar, it doesn't exist. If something mm-hmm. is not on my calendar, I just simply will not show up to it. My wife Mm -hmm. has often said to me sometimes, she'll be like, don't you remember I told you that? I'm like, I literally do not. If it's not in the calendar, calendar. it does not exist. So yeah, so so I think that that's probably the starting point. Okay, I love, love, love that you mentioned this ability to get into flow because one of the questions that I also wanted to ask you, which is kind of a three-part question, is what is the daily flow of your work these days? What is the ideal flow of your daily work? And then what is your favorite transition moment between in your routine? So not a moment in your routine, but from one routine going to another, you know what I mean, right? Yeah, the yeah, yeah, of yeah. Context the switching. Yeah. So those three questions about flow, I'm very curious to hear. All what right. You have so, to say. so the first one was say the first one. Uh, what is the current flow of your? So day? the current flow of my work is essentially um, there. There, I read this article uh, about the two types of schedules. There's the maker schedule mm-hmm. and the manager schedule. So the maker schedule is long, uninterrupted flows of time where you're mm-hmm. building things, you're creating things, you're kind of letting your mind wander, and you're allowing things to kind of take shape. That is the answer to your second question, which is like, what's my ideal? My ideal mm-hmm. schedule is an entirely empty week, where essentially mm-hmm. I define what's going to be in each block each day, and I have the full uninterrupted day to do that thing. I sometimes take weekends to do that. I often work at night from 10 PM to 2 AM. And that's kind of my maker schedule. And I, I build businesses. I do things in that time that are like insane. Um, during the day, for the most part, I have a maker schedule. I'm sorry, a manager schedule, which is more of a going from meeting to meeting, to meeting, to showing up strategy session, meeting strategy. So I go from one thing to the next. And what I have noticed is that it is very difficult for me to blend those two types of schedules in a single day. So to your yeah. third point of like, how do I context switch? I've learned that the, the, if I can reduce the amount of time in between switching from one thing to another to its bare minimum, I can actually mm. go almost all day without break switching from one thing to the next because I have the ability to very, very quickly switch between one idea and another and immediately be in, in the flow of that one. But if I stop, if I pause, if I slow the car down, then I have mm-hmm. to get it. It's like starting up a car in the cold. It's like, it's going to take yeah. a little bit to warm it up. So if I just keep everything hot and I keep it moving, I can actually work with several different clients, work on several different projects. But what will happen is I will lose all of the details, every single detail. I will show up in the moment and I will rock. But as soon as I leave that meeting, I do not remember a thing yeah. of what we just talked about. Yeah. 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 So my ideal schedule would be uninterrupted times of flow, um, time to let my mind wander, time to read, time to like really dip into the creativity. Um, and, uh, and, and the way I'm mostly managing it is by trying to just keep the momentum as hot as I possibly can. 
Yeah. Thank you for sharing, because I feel like it's so, so important to have as many diverse examples of how people work in flow as possible, because you realize how different our needs are to get into a state yes. of flow, right? You mentioned your ADHD and how you how you worked through that to understand what it means for you to be in flow. And I think it's, it's really worth noting that everybody has to figure that out from themselves. You can't just look at somebody who's successful or creating what you want to be creating, because the, the brain chemistry is different, and you're the only one who can know that the best. Yep. And um, one thing I'll say about that is that I, one thing I would recommend, regardless of whether or not you're ADHD, you're autistic, you're neurotypical, whatever mm -hmm. it is, the, I think that flow is the sort of thing where you really want to identify what your routine is, nurture that routine, because what you want to do is you actually want to send a signal to your brain that it's time to get into flow. Yeah. And I think that that part's really important is to develop the kind of pre-flow routine so that mm -hmm. it's it's kickstarting that function. So as an example, I know that uh, when it comes to be nighttime, if I want to go to sleep, I'm going to lay on my back probably for like five minutes or so. And as soon as I roll over onto my right side, I'm going to be asleep in under five minutes, most likely. Gorgeous. It's just, a, it's a trigger that I've set for yeah. my mind. And it's now it has, now it's how it works. If I want to get into a flow state, I have several different methods that I use. The most common one that I'll use, there's there's two that I use more than anything else. One, have you ever heard of the Pomodoro technique? Yeah, the timer, the 20 minutes yeah. at a time. So mm -hmm. a lot of neurotypical people can use the Pomodoro technique. And mm -hmm. a lot of people with ADHD or autism cannot. So what I do is I actually hack the Pomodoro technique for my ADHD, which is that. I start the timer and when the alarm goes off, I just shut it off and I keep going. Because the problem mm -hmm. isn't, the, it's not the breaks in between that actually screws everything up. It's, it's getting started is the hardest mm -hmm. part. But once I get into the flow, if I get that snowball rolling down the hill, I am yeah. good to go. And what I pair with that typically is that I use a service called brain FM brain.fm. Mm -hmm. It's an app iOS. I think they have it for Android and mm -hmm. it's uh, it's similar to um, uh, binaural beats, except it's more musical and you can choose different types of vibes. So I like like electronic or lo-fi hip hop, things like that. Mm -hmm. And what it does, is it kind of tunes to your neural state to allow you to get into a state of flow very quickly. So I've found out mm -hmm. that if I do the high neural tuning on electronic or grooves or drones or lo-fi, I can usually get into a flow state within about 10 minutes or so. And from there, I just leave that on for about an hour and a half. And I don't even hear the music after that. I'm just like locked Magic. into my task. Yeah. You're in. Love it. Love it. So Jeff, one of the, the words that I've noticed that you've mentioned a few times today is the word of bravery. So you mentioned it when you were talking about being vulnerable with talking with colleagues or clients about, you know, your timing, your availability of your, you know, headspace that day. You also mentioned it in, you know, bravely speaking about what it is that your mission is without, you know, succumbing to what the trends are. The question though that I have is what is a time in your life when your bravery let you down and what was your take away from that or reflection? Oh, the first one that came to, to mind is one that I'm like mm. super embarrassed about. So I'm going to share it. Good. Um, good. I was in New York with my wife and we were in an, uh, a T-Mobile store and we were okay. trying to get her Apple watch uh, onto my account so that she could like make calls with it, whatever. And we're in there and it's taking a long time for that to happen. And as we're in the store, a couple guys came into the store. I didn't really pay any attention to it. I was just talking with the T-Mobile guy and all of a sudden they start ripping the iPhones off of the wall. They, they started like ripping no iPhones and iPads off because of the, oh, I think the, the 12 or 13 had just come mm -hmm, out. Mm -hmm. so they start ripping the phones off of the wall. And I'm like catatonic at that moment. And my wife is mm -hmm. right in front of me. In that moment, I was thinking like, 
I should be standing in front of my wife. I should be like protecting her from what's happening. Now, mind you, they didn't come over to us. They didn't care about us at all. They wanted the iPhones off the wall and they were dipping out. But in that moment, I felt like it's my job to, and not like my job as a man, like my job is her husband, like the, the, mm-hmm. the one who cares about her more than anything in the world. It's my job to stand in front of her and protect her in this situation. But I was like frozen with fear. And, uh, and like, that was super embarrassing for me after I left. And that was a moment where like, uh, I wouldn't call it bravery. I would call it a lack of courage because mm-hmm. and I, I'm, uh, I'm fascinated by this distinction between bravery and courage because we use them, um, interchangeably, but they are, they are actually different things. You see, bravery is marching into something without fear and courage is being scared and going anyway. And I think in that moment, I was fearful. I didn't know what was going to happen. Like it was a very um, scary moment. And I should have, in spite of that fear, stepped in front and at least used my body to protect my wife in that moment. Um, Mm. And, and, you know, it was a thing where after I walked away from that, I thought, okay, that's not a thing that's going to happen again. Like, you know, I never thought through like, well, what if that happens? What would I do? And when mm-hmm. it happened, I was just shocked by it. But now I've had that experience and I'm like, okay, like you need to be prepared for everything. And you got to know your default reaction is this, right? Mm-hmm. So but that was a moment where I would say my courage failed me, but I will not let it fail me again. So could another takeaway from that be if you're lacking in bravery, time to step into courage? Oh, for sure. I, I would mm. say that it would be virtually impossible to ever reach bravery if you haven't first experienced mm-hmm. courage without being mm-hmm. insanely naive. Because bravery oftentimes, I think, will show up as naivete uh, because to not be fearful of something. Right. Is, the only way you not can the smartest, do that is, yeah. Yeah. It, the only way you can really do that is either that you're foolish or you've been through it enough times that you know not to be scared. Mm-hmm. You know, you, mm-hmm. you've, you've built up the resilience against that fear. But otherwise, you're, when you're in situations, you're probably likely going to be scared and you need the courage to overcome that fear and do what you need to do anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would say that that is an example. And then there are just countless examples throughout my life where I think I was scared of, um, you know, I, I think there have been situations where I don't know if I would call it bravery or courage. I don't know, but like in situations where I witnessed somebody saying something that I knew was wrong and for mm. fear of social repercussions, didn't say the yeah. thing that needed to be said. And that's a thing that I'm just no longer um, abiding by. I, uh, in last, so every year I read a post called my three words and I picked my three words to define my year. And last, uh, last year was outspoken, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's I've gorgeous. just decided that, you know, just going to say what needs to be said from now on. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Jumping off of that. My next question is what is one time in your career otherwise that you sincerely surprised yourself with the own skill that you had that maybe you didn't realize previously with a skill that I had that I didn't know that I had Mm -hmm. or an ability where you really impressed yourself, you know? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to give a quick one. I won't go too deep into it, but writing the book was one that like, for sure, I was Mm -hmm. like, there's no way someone with my level of ADHD should be able to even do that. Um, But I did, I wrote an entire freaking book and like, that is a process. Um, So that's a big one where I I think I really, cause I really truly believe like I would never get this done. I'd started Mm -hmm. my first time writing it. My first weekend, I wrote 18,000 words in the weekend. And I was like, we're off to the races. And five years later, I was still like, not done. And I decided that I was going to do it and I finished it off and then we got it published and the whole thing. And it was awesome. But yeah, that was, that was a super surprise. I think um, I, I've often found that I'm, I surprised myself in my ability to, um, to like own a room because it mm-hmm. doesn't feel like it takes very much 
to mm-hmm. do it. Like I've been in sales conversations or networking situations where I just notice I'm able to captivate a, a group of people in, in a conversation, in a story. And that's not something that like, I feel like I really practice. It's just something mm-hmm. that, and, and maybe like, I don't, I don't think I formally practice, but I think I informally practice it by way of you know, podcasting and networking and things like that. Um, but yeah, that's one where I've, I've truly surprised myself. I'm like, oh, wow, I did that. And it was fairly effortless. That is quite impressive. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you're growing into it with the mindset of, I'm not going to finish this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So Jeff, one last question that I have for you that I'm very curious to hear what you'll have to say is what is one piece of art or expression of creativity, be it music, a film, you know, a movie that you saw as a child that made you feel the most seen? It made me feel the most seen. Ooh. I mean, I can, I can only speak to it in retrospect because I don't think that at the mm-hmm. time any of them mm-hmm. made me feel seen. I think only in retrospect, looking back on the media or any of the art, did I look at that and say that resonated with me. And I don't know if, and, and it's sort of a chicken and egg thing. Did it resonate mm-hmm. with me or did it cause a resonation in me? You know what I'm saying? Like, did, like when I was a kid, I was really into Superman. And now my whole everything is about superheroes and standing up for Mm -hmm. justice and doing the right thing. Like, did it resonate with me or did I watch that? And did that plant a seed in me that made me this way? Right. Like when I was 13, I watched the movie dead poet society and I have a Mm. view of life and mortality that like, this is the only chance we get and we should do something with it. That's meaningful and that's impactful and that leaves the world better behind. We only have this one shot, right? Carpe diem sees the day. Did that, movie make the impression on me that made me feel that way or did I see it and that resonated with me and that's why I chose Mm -hmm. it so like I don't know how to really answer it Mm -hmm. um I I can give you a recent example though that I think would probably be more relevant to probably what you're getting at um Mm -hmm. because it's more recent and it's it's related to the conversation around ADHD so ADHD can often feel very very lonely especially if you're surrounded by the expectations of others who don't necessarily understand how you work And I had come to terms that I, you know, I'm very high functioning ADHD and yada, yada, yada. But um, it wasn't until I started seeing videos on TikTok of other people with Mm -hmm. ADHD explaining things that they do or ways that they behave, or it's, there's a rabbit hole of ADHD content on TikTok that is by far the thing that made me feel the most seen in any media that I have ever seen in my life. Um, because it's the one that I can say for sure. Wasn't the idea was planted in my head. It was like, I didn't have that question of like, did the media influence me or did I recognize Mm -hmm. myself in the media? This is clearly a, I feel that someone else sees me for me and how I am because they are that way. So I can see myself in them and they can see themselves in me because they do this thing that I do. And we've never met. And yet we share this thing. Um, so ADHD TikTok is undoubtedly a place where I have routinely time and time again, felt validated for just the way that I am. Oh, fascinating, honestly, because, because the, this whole era of TikTok and the, you know, the tragedy of the short attention span getting shorter and shorter and shorter also provides so much freedom for people to, in such an accessible way, share things that make people feel seen that hadn't before. And I think that's a gorgeous thing. Yeah. 
So Jeff, thank you so much for sharing and answering all of my questions. This has been an absolute joy. Um, as usual, all of the information and anything that we mentioned here today will be in the show notes. And if you feel so inclined, go ahead and share this wonderful episode of Shareable. So tell me, what was most valuable or useful for you in this episode? Send me a message using the link in the show notes. I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe and rate the show five stars on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Don't miss out on my other podcast, Becoming Superhuman, which is also available as an email newsletter. Get it all at jgibbard.com. If you're looking for a book to read, may I kindly suggest The Lovable Leader, which covers how to build great teams with trust, respect, and kindness. Available online wherever books are sold. And finally, if you're interested in working with me, whether it's hiring me to speak or train your organization or strategic consulting and coaching, all of that information can be found at jgibbard.com. All links can be found at the bottom of the show notes. Stay safe, be kind, and please share this episode with someone who will enjoy it. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm.